This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Eighty-five episodes in. Thanks as always for clicking subscribe, for downloading, for the stream. However, you're listening to Play by Play Cast. My name is Joel Godet, and this is the podcast for broadcasters of a play-by-play variety about play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Uh, If you caught last week's conversation with Eric Reed, thank you guys for checking that one out. Uh, You can always uh, flip back through our archives and find all of our previous conversations. Blown away, by the way, on the numbers uh, recently. Uh, You guys apparently really liked the Ann Schatz conversation uh, from the Pac-12 Network uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the Brian Estridge conversation the week before that has done very well. Uh, not surprisingly, Mike Breen, Len Casper, uh, Boog Shiambi, episode 77, 79, 80, um, have all gone over really well with you guys. So uh, thank you guys for your continued listenership. And uh, glad you are uh, still 85 episodes in, enjoying uh, these conversations, uh, listening to them as much as I've enjoyed um, having them and putting them together here for you. Our guest this week, we head back to the college ranks. I was going to say it's our first college broadcaster in a while, but I just said Brian Estridge from TCU uh, was episode 81. Uh, We haven't had a ton of uh, college voices, though. Uh, Toby Rowland from Oklahoma recently. Um, But good to head back to uh, the Division I ranks and chat with the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, Jones Angel, this week. Uh, A guy who took over in 2011 following the 40-year career of Woody Durham. And we'll talk a little bit about Woody Durham and what Jones Angel uh, learned from him, took from him, admired from him, what it's like to have to follow uh, him in Chapel Hill. Uh, We'll we'll touch on uh, that and much more here with Jones, including the old hits. We'll talk a little bit about what he thinks makes good play-by-play. We'll talk about his preparation, uh, what he thinks is really important, like the one or two things that he absolutely needs when he, go, when he comes to preparing, uh, we'll talk about theater, too, at the end uh, for what that's worth as well. Uh, but a fun conversation with Jones Angel that also includes what it's like to broadcast a pair of national championships. One a victory, one a buzzer-beating defeat. So we'll kind of get the juxtaposition of uh, handling those two situations and having those two calls still uh, early on in his Division One broadcasting career. But let's dive right into it without further ado. Uh, we're actually going to start with something totally off the wall. Uh, because if you, this is a great uh, lesson in, in research. If you go to Wikipedia, and like I always start with Wikipedia, it's a great starting point. Uh, if you go to Wikipedia, it says that Jones Angel uh, wanted to be a sports broadcaster from an early age, but his mother uh, objected to it, and he, he still did it anyway. And I thought that was interesting. I could not corroborate that anywhere, but I was like, you know what, like somebody went through the effort to put that on Wikipedia. Either A, it must be true, or B, 
they're trying to get someone like me to ask that question, and uh, well, they were successful. Uh, so, so that's where we start with Jones Angel this week, and then uh, then we'll get into the good stuff. I promise. It's the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels this week on Play by Play Cast. Jones Angel, check it out. I read that you wanted to do play by play as a kid, but it was against your mother's objections. Is that true? And and why? That is uh, that is not true. What a uh, I didn't even know. Uh, number one, I didn't even know I had a Wikipedia page, and number two, I didn't know that was on there. So uh, I surprisingly, the uh, the information there was incorrect. And see, kids, this is why you have to pay attention in school um, <laughs> because you're supposed to go to hard source materials. Um, so, with that being said, uh, how did you uh, get into play by play, and and why did you want to get into play by play, and kind of at what point in your life did that come around? Well, I think the biggest thing is that I really enjoyed athletics, and that I enjoyed being around athletics i enjoyed the lessons that i think athletics can teach i enjoyed the camaraderie of a team just all those kind of things um but i just wasn't good enough to compete at any kind of high level uh, athletically and so um i wanted to find a way if possible to be around it because i did enjoy it so much and so yeah i realized that this was something that uh that i had the potential to be good at um that you know i had done some theater stuff and you know just some some different things been on the air and, and I use that in very loose quotations uh, doing some stuff in high school and um, so I realized that it was something that that was a potential for me and so I was able to kind of put those two things together and, and marry it in an opportunity um, and you know I got really lucky and that when I was in school I got an opportunity to work with our radio network and uh was able to advance kind of uh, very slowly, but advance through the ranks here in one place, which is an unusual thing, as you know, um, in this profession. And so to be able to uh, to learn from some really great guys and to do what I wanted to do at a place that I really enjoy uh, was really fortunate for me. Yeah, so tell me about that. You you go to school at UNC um, and, and really never leave. Uh, kind of walk me on that, that path for you in terms of uh, what doors opened up, why you wanted to stay there, or why you wound up staying there, um, and I guess if there was ever a point in time where you felt enticed to go a different way, but um, wound up making the decision that ultimately uh, winds up being the right one for you. Sure, yeah. You know, so uh, correct. I, I went to school at Carolina, and after my sophomore year, so between my sophomore and junior years, um, I started doing some intern work with our radio network. And Joel, quite honestly, that was just, yeah, doing whatever help they may need. And that was getting people lunch. That was, <laughs> you know, checking records in the media guides. That was helping to create, you know, promotional stuff during the summer. I mean, just anything that was beneficial, um, I tried to do. And, and then that moved into my next school year. And I would come down after I was done with class. And, you know, sometimes there'd be stuff that I could help out with and sometimes there wouldn't but I'd just kind of hang around and learn and look and um, you know kind of get my hands into things and see if I could um, continue to just figure things out and so as time went along yeah I was able to one get a couple opportunities to be on the air um, which was you know filling in for our scoreboard guy for example during football and basketball or uh, calling women's soccer on the internet for the first internet only broadcast that we ever did um, it, whether that was doing some fill-in work as an analyst for women's basketball just anything that I could do uh, to get some experience 
you know, I tried to do. And, and then while I was doing that, I was shooting camera for the coaches' television shows, or I was staying here late Saturday night, and I would deliver at the time. That was still where you'd have an actual physical tape, and <laughs> yeah, I would deliver the tape to the TV station um, at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever on Saturday after the production was done after a late-night Saturday night game. Um, so I just kind of hung around. And then in hanging around, I did a couple of different things. I was able to get some experience. I was able to vary my skill set. And I was also able to prove myself to be valuable. And I tell young broadcasters all the time that I do think two of the most important things you can do is vary your skill set because, as you know, you're not going to just jump right into being on the air immediately. And a lot of times when you get started in this business, you are kind of a one-man band and you have to do so many different things. And then also prove yourself valuable to as many people as possible because eventually one of those people is probably going to be the one to help you. And so I was able to kind of do all of that in one place. Um, so then that went from a couple of big moments that occurred. And one was quite honestly a very tragic moment. And, uh, the gentleman whose name was Stephen Gates, who uh, did our baseball play-by-play and our women's basketball play-by-play and was our sideline reporter uh, for football, Stephen was killed in a hit-and-run accident mm. um, where his car had a flat tire, and he got out to look at the tire and was hit by a car oh and was killed. And so, um, you know, obviously an extraordinarily emotional moment for us here. You know, Stephen was a good friend of mine. I had done broadcast with Stephen um, he was just a couple years older than me. Um, and so, you know, he and I were friends. He was friends with so many people around here. Uh, and so when that happened, you know, first of all, it was a shock to our system, of course. Um, and then, you know, eventually I started doing some of the stuff that, that Stephen had been doing. And so that was the first time that I started doing women's basketball and, and baseball play by play. Um, and then, so I did that for a couple of seasons and then Mick Mixon, who was both our color analyst and kind of what we call on our broadcast, the host of the broadcast. So yeah, he would do our pregame, our halftime, our postgame. Um, in addition to doing the analyst work, uh, Mick, uh, moved on to be the play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers. And so, uh, Mick left for Charlotte. And when that happened, I kind of slid into his host role in uh, hosting our broadcast. And then we had former athletes come in and take over the analyst role, um, Eric Montross on the basketball side of things. And, and at the time, a gentleman named Rick Steinbacher, who was a all-ACC linebacker here at Carolina, um, did the football. So I did that alongside, of course, Woody Durham this whole time has been our play-by-play voice at Carolina, and Woody did that for 40 years and is one of the best-known and most accomplished uh, play-by-play voices on the college level there's ever been. Um, So I got a chance to work with Woody um, next to Woody there for his final six years, and then when he retired in 2011, um, after a national search, I was able to get the gig. And so um, I always tell people that it is not a usual path. You don't stay at one place very often and go from getting people lunch to being the play-by-play voice. That doesn't happen very often, Um, but it just so happened for me. Um, Now, you also asked me in that question, you know, did I ever think about leaving? Why did I stay? You know, Carolina is a a really special place, and um, it's a place that's important to me. You know, my parents went here, my sister went here, my wife went here, I went here. Um, so it, it is an important place to our family. It's a terrific area of the country. Um, so that was part of it. Um, but I would not be telling the truth if I said I didn't 
always contemplate, you know, taking that next step. And so, yeah, I worked when I was doing the hosting of our broadcast, I would prepare as if I was going to do the play by play, whether that was at Carolina or somewhere else, because I wanted that preparation uh, to be ready for when that next step came. I didn't want it to be a shock to my system, how hard you had to prepare to get ready for a broadcast. Um, but I really only applied for two other jobs um, uh, while I was going kind of through that whole journey at Carolina um, and got to a finalist for both of them. The second one, you know, they wanted me to guarantee that I wouldn't uh, put my name in the hat for the Carolina job when it came open, um, and I wouldn't do that. And so <laughs> I don't know if that's why I didn't get it or not, but I didn't get it. And so, um, But I did uh, just explore a couple other positions uh, while I was doing it. Um, but eventually it all worked out in the end for me and uh, certainly love where I am and, and excited to cover the teams that I get the opportunity to cover. That was a long answer, Joel. I apologize. No, we got that's a, a long story. We, we got a I'm podcast, old. so we're like, as long as you're still on the phone, we're good. Uh, <laughs> um, what's it like as a Carolina kid with the lineage that you had at, at UNC and your family um, to, as a student, show up and it's like, here's Woody Durham. You're going to help him out today. Um, what's that experience like? So it blew me away. Um, uh, you know, I felt, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing growing up is my dad and I would always turn down the sound and uh, the TV and listen to the radio broadcast. So we'd watch on football Saturdays. We'd watch every Carolina basketball game and we'd turn the sound down and listen to Woody and Mick call the game. And that's just something we did. And, you know, I felt like I felt like I knew Woody and Mick, even though neither one of them had ever met me nor had any reason to know who I was. But yeah, I felt like I had a relationship with them because I had gone through, as a Carolina fan, I had gone through so many great moments and so many tough moments with them. And I think that's part of the really fun part about being a play-by-play voice at one place, and especially at a place that is that people care about like they do at Carolina is that you're able to build that relationship with people, even if you don't know them. And so I was on the other side of it. And, and, you know, I've again, grew up with those two guys. And so the first time I met them, I was totally starstruck. It it could have been, you could name the big, it could have been Michael Jordan. It could have been the president of the United States. It didn't matter. I I was like, Whoa, you know, here's Woody and here's Mick and they are right in front of me. And you know, these are the guys that I've spent hours and hours of my life with and I'm getting a chance to talk to them. And I remember the first thing I ever did, you know, some June afternoon or something in that summer was Woody and Mick were down there cutting station liners um, for the next year. So, you know, they'd say, oh, you're listening to Carolina football on WTXY in Lexington or whatever it is. And they were just doing this for hours and hours and hours. And they asked me to go get them lunch. And I remember specifically driving down the road thinking, I have $20 of Woody Durham's money in my pocket. This is unbelievable. Like, it, it just it blew me away. And so it was really kind of a, a hitch-in-the-face moment for me uh, when that happened. But the really cool part about that is as time went along, I was able to learn so much from both of them. And when you're talking about one guy in Woody who is, you know, just is going into the uh, Sports Media Hall of Fame here in the next class and is one of the greatest college announcers ever, when you get to learn from him and you get to learn from Mick Nixon, who is now, you know, in one of the best jobs that you can have in our business as an NFL play-by-play man, and I got to learn and take things and see how they both were successful. 
And so I got to kind of take a couple little things from both of them and learn pieces from what they did. And, you know, while what I do is not exactly like either one of them, there are definitely things that I took from them both. And so to be able to have that kind of hands-on um tutelage, if you will, if that's even a word, to, to be able to get that hands-on uh, teaching from those guys uh, was really beneficial for me. I was going to say, what did you learn from them? But that could go in any myriad of directions, so I'll try to pare it down. Uh, you mentioned having a relationship, feeling like you had a relationship with those guys, listening to them growing up. Um, what is it about them on the air that you think helped create that feeling within you, the listener? Um, and then maybe how do you... Um, kind of, I don't know if mimic is the right word, but um, how do you inherit that skill um, in, in what you do now? That's a great question, and I think it's a couple different things. One is just the quality of their work. Um, and by that I mean, I, I think when you're the play-by-play voice of one school, it, look, everybody knows that we want, on the Tar Heel Sports Network, we want the Tar Heels to win. But that doesn't mean that everything Carolina does is good, everything the other team does is bad, every call against the Tar Heels is the wrong call. That, that's not the case. But what I think Woody and Mick did so well was they hit the balance of what I like to call passion and professionalism. Mm. And if you're calling the game on ESPN or CBS or whatever, you've got to be right in the middle. And you should be. That, that's the expectation. But on the Tar Heel Sports Network, we can, we can be, instead of, I'm, and I wish you could see me here, I wish this was a visual <laughs> podcast, I've got my arms straight up when I say in the middle, and I'm going to put it at about a 45-degree angle or so when I say that's where we are. We, we want to balance that professionalism for the broadcast, but our passion for Carolina. And, and I think that's what Woody and Mick did so extraordinarily well. You knew, hey, they were Tar Heels, and you knew they were Tar Heels, and you knew that they wanted Carolina to be as successful as possible. But if Christian Leitner goes for 35 points for Duke, that's a story. You've got to talk about that, too. You've got to give them credit. If, if somebody for NC State rushes for 250 yards in the game and scores the game-winning touchdown, that's, that's a story, too. And so they were able to really, I think, balance that as well as anybody I've ever heard. So that's part of it. It's just how good they were at what they did in their specific role. Then here's the other thing, yeah. and, and I think this is true – at any place, and I mentioned it in an answer earlier, is you go when you're a diehard fan, you go through these moments with these people. And that is the highest of highs, the Tariels winning national championships. And that's, in sports terms, the lowest of lows when, you know, you lose at the buzzer in the national championship game. Or, you know, Duke hits a three. The first Carolina Duke game I ever did as a play-by-play guy was when Austin Rivers hit the shot at the buzzer to beat the Tar Heels in the Smith Center. And in sports terms, that's a pretty rough night if you're Carolina. And so um, you build that relationship with people by being there, by being there with them for all of those moments. And that's why when Woody retired, um, it was never going to be easy for whoever sat in that chair next because Woody had been there with people for so long. But you're able, as time goes along, and this is now my seventh year doing this, you're able to start building up those moments with people, positive and negative, that allow you to start having that relationship. So you need to do your job well. There's no question about that. But some of it is just time and 
some of it is just being there in those situations with people, um, which really helps build that relationship. You've mentioned it, so I'll, I'll go there so I don't forget about it. But um, what was it like calling that national championship game? Uh, and, and take me in that moment of, of composure, of that stage, of, I mean, just walk me kind of through your mindset of, of that moment and that stage and uh, the exact way that things all played out that night. Here's the really fun part that I get to answer, Joel. I don't know which one you're talking about because the Tar Heels have been to the championship okay, yeah, game back-to-back years in 2016 and 17, but I can still answer the question. I, I, well, I was thinking that when you mentioned buzzer beater, I was thinking the, sure. the Villanova loss in particular, going from the high of it's a tie game to all of a sudden what just happened. Yeah, so it was the hardest moment I think I've ever had on the air and trying to keep what I talked about a moment ago, that balance between professionalism and passion. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously this was a monumental shot and it's one that you have to give extreme credit to Villanova, to Chris Jenkins. Um, It wasn't that Carolina didn't mess anything up. Um, He just made an unbelievable all-time play. And sometimes that happens. But from the Tar perspective, it just, absolutely punches you in the gut and, and rips your heart out. I mean, that's as, as difficult a way to lose um, that type of game as there is. And maybe the, the hardest loss in a championship game ever. It's certainly one of them because of the way that it played out. Um, what made it extra difficult is we were directly in front, our broadcast location, of the Villanova families. And so their players came over and we're standing on our table, we're reaching over us. I mean, I was in between a hug between somebody's mom and a player while we're on the air. Um, and they weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't, like, rubbing it in anyone's face. They were celebrating, as they should have been, um, winning the championship. And so you're trying to keep your composure. You're trying to uh, tell the story of what happened. You're trying to um, get it home. Uh, get the broadcast home, but you're trying to do all of that in what was a very emotional and um, just a, a very high-charged situation. Um, so that was difficult, without question. Um, I think particularly just because there was so much jubilation around you while you're trying to keep things um, kind of going. And so that that was really, really hard. Um but I think we did an okay job with it. It's not like, you know, we were sitting there dog cussing the Villanova players or anything <laughs> like that. You, you kind of you got through it. And so I do think that, you know, we're lucky here in Chapel Hill because Carolina's won a lot of championships and a lot of sports, and certainly Carolina basketball is important to people around um, here and around the country, and, and they've been very, very successful. But I think last year's championship, is is as special as anyone Carolina has ever won because of the way that that group came back from what happened the year before. Mm-hmm. And, Joel, I'll tell you, I mean, Chris Jenkins, Villanova, those are all dirty words for about a year for Carolina fans. Now, there's still not a Carolina fan out there that wants to relive it or wants to talk about it or, or thinks it's a great time. But it kind of is seen in a different light now because I don't think the Tar Heels win – in 2017 if they didn't experience what they experienced in 2016 
And so now that moment, while it's still incredibly disappointing, and you hate it particularly for the seniors on that team, Joel James and Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page, you know, that moment is more of a building block for what eventually happened in 2017. And so to be able to get back there and to be able to call, you know, two consecutive championship games and to be able to have a championship call that, you know, that'll be, I don't know if remember, but it'll certainly be saved because you keep all of those for sure. Um, you know, that's, that's a really special moment for me. And, and I think it was a really um, memorable, emotional um, championship for not only the players and the coaches, but, but Carolina fans everywhere as well. Can I juxtapose the, the Villanova call too against not even the national championship call uh, this past season, but, but the Luke May call, if we want to talk about like buzzer beaters, big moments, um, how did you think you handled the Luke May call, and what's different about obviously when you win, being able to walk that line of the the professionalism and um, and passion? Well, I think the the probably overriding part about our Luke May call is Eric Montross going crazy over top of it because <laughs> he's so excited uh, that Luke hit the shot. And yeah, that is, yeah. People always ask me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question. People always say, oh well, you know, did you have what you wanted to say for the championship call? Did you have that written down? And I always say no. I mean, there's you can't you can't script. I didn't have a Luke May hits a shot with three tenths of a second left. Uh, let me flip to my note card and say what we're going to say. Um, you don't have that. Now, I do think when you're in a championship game, you need to at least have some kind of idea. If you're up by 40 points with a minute left and you're going to win the game, you need to have some kind of idea what you what you'd like to say. Um, but you're never going to write anything down or have it scripted. Um, so the the Luke May call, and you know we've yeah, Carolina's had a couple of buzzer beater wins um, through the last several years. It, it's just it's the emotion of what's happening. Um, and I think my favorite part about the Luke May call is that uh, you know I don't even I can't even remember it word for word, but I know near the end of it that I immediately say three tenths of a second. Cause I think that's important. You need to know it wasn't the end of the game. Yeah. Um, there, there was still, while three tenths of a second, you pretty much have it. It's not the very end. And so, um, I do think that that was, I, I was pleased with myself for making sure that you got that in there, um, at that moment. But, um, that to me, wow, that of all the championship run last year for Carolina, that moment was, was probably the most special. That was a heck of a shot by Luke and in a incredible game between two really good teams. And I wanted to go down that path, but let me go back to, uh, and I'm glad we did, but I let me go back to the beginning of, of, of your UNC time as the voice of UNC as well. When you made that transition and, and finally um, jumped into that seat, uh, you know, I, I've read a bunch of interviews where you, where you get asked about comfort and uh, if you're feeling more comfortable. <laughs> um, so, so I, I, I uh, and I've gotten that question a lot too, just being in, in a, you know, a, a division one job, replacing a guy who had been here for a long time as well. Um, so I'm curious uh, as somebody who's also gone through that, what it was like for you um, to replace uh, Woody and to feel comfortable and to feel like you were in your own, your own spot finally. And, and kind of how long that took. Yeah. Um, it's funny, Joel, because, and you, I, you may have been reading that may have read me say this before, but I think this is true. Um, yeah. I never felt, uncomfortable at least consciously Hmm. um now that's not to say that my heart 
rate wanting a little higher when we first went on the air when Carolina football was playing James Madison there to open up the 2011 season in the first game that I called. Um, yeah, I mean, you're a little bit, you got those nerves working a little bit because it's a, it's, it's a big moment. Um, but a couple things helped me. Um, first, I had been on the broadcast for several years. So I had been around Carolina. I had been around our broadcast. You know, I had been there you know, for Final Fours. I had been there for big football games. So yeah, I had been on our broadcast for big games. So that was helpful. Um, and we didn't change anything else on our broadcast other than I slid over a chair. And we brought in somebody else to fill my role. Mm. Um, but, but everybody else stayed the same. Our sideline reporter was the same. Our analyst was the same. Our engineer was the same. Uh, I remember our parent company wanted to change the bump music for uh, our coming in and out of commercial breaks. And I said, no, I don't want to change it. Not, not now. I want to keep that exactly the same because I didn't want it to feel like there was this huge overhaul occurring on the broadcast. Um, and so that all of that stuff staying steady, all of that stuff staying consistent um, was helpful for me. Now, the, the longer I went, more people started to say, oh, you sound so much more comfortable on the air. And that may be true, and, and maybe I just didn't realize it, and that's the case. But I think a big part of that is people getting more comfortable with hearing me and, and being more comfortable with the fact that I was the person there now and not Woody. Yeah, it's almost the other um, way around. It's not right. that you're and, more comfortable. And, and again, are, I'm yeah. not saying that there wasn't a difference in – in what I was doing, and I'm sure just kind of subconsciously and naturally you do settle into it a little bit more, but I also think that was a two-way relationship as people continued to say that to me. Um, and I'll say two more things. Um, you know, I do think basketball-wise, I felt really good about my level of preparation, about being ready to call a game, all those things. Um, football-wise, it had been a while since I had done football um, when I got the job, and so um, I do feel like that took a little bit of time just for me personally to kind of get my system of preparation, to get my system of information on game day, just to kind of get that exactly how I wanted it. And, and I still tinker with both football and basketball every single year, but I, I don't make major changes like I did in football the first couple of seasons, just changing some stuff that I did to get ready for games and those kind of things. Um, so I do think that, you know, you kind of settle into that level of, of expectation of your preparation and things like that. And then finally, um, you know, the, the biggest play of the, the geo of, touchdown. Yeah. is the geo touchdown. Bernard fields it at the 26 heading to the far side. Geo at the 35. Geo, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Geo, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? It was this first moment that people had that was memorable to them that it was my play call and not Woody's. And that play uh, just got me so much equity and so much uh, cachet with Carolina fans just to say, okay, this guy can, can handle it. 
Um, and for whatever reason, people enjoyed that call. That's still one of the most, the, the number one thing, maybe not number one, but right up there as far as people uh, talking to me or talking about a specific player call is they always mention the geo play. And so um, that particular play was really important for me too. What about it uh, do you think stands out with them? Uh, and, and what do you think about it when you listen back to it now? I don't know what stands out uh, for people so much. Um, you know, I I lost it a little bit for sure. Which maybe is um, the thing. Like, I feel like when there's the utter shock in your voice, that, that shows sometimes, and I think people like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and I think people uh, – I think that was that moment. And and if you weren't there in Keenan Stadium, it's hard to explain it. But, yeah, Carolina had lost the state five consecutive years, which was pretty unusual. Um, and it was – it's hard to say right in the height since the NCAA stuff finally just got over with a couple months ago, but <laughs> yeah, the NCAA stuff was really at, at a high peak at that point. And um, it, it was just a very emotionally charged atmosphere. And, you know, Carolina had gone up early and then state uh, had taken a, a lead that looked like they were going to gosh, do this again. They're going to win for the sixth year in a row. And they were up a couple scores in the fourth quarter and, the Tar Heels end up tying it, and you get excited just because the game's, you know, you, the Tar Heels got a chance to kind of extend this game and, and then, you know, to run a punt back with 30 seconds left or 20 seconds left or whatever it was. That doesn't happen real often. And so um, it was just a, an emotionally charged kind of unusual moment. And so I think the way I reacted was probably the way a lot of people reacted in the stadium that day. And so I think it was a very relatable uh, moment for Carolina fans. Um, when I go back and listen to it now, um, you know, it is, I enjoy the call just because people like it so much. Um, but it is also something that I have worked very hard on and it gets me in football much more so than basketball is I can tend to get a little screamy because you get excited and big things are happening. Yep. And in basketball, those moments are two or three seconds in football. Those moments are, eight to 12 seconds or whatever. And so two to three seconds of getting screamy is not a huge deal, but eight to 12 seconds will wear you out. And so um, that's something that I've been very conscious of and tried to improve on and think I've gotten a lot better at um, as the years have gone on. It's just trying to still have that excitement and enthusiasm and get fired up, but also not just um, not just be yelling at people. And so I've always thought that call was a little yelly, uh, but uh, I also – it brings back terrific memories and, and a great moment for Carolina football and, and a play that people have enjoyed so much. Uh, I guess kind of along those lines, and if you want to break it up into to football and basketball as well, in the, I guess, seven, is this year seven? Or is this year seven, eight? Seven, correct. Okay. Yeah. So seven years. Um, what, where do you think you've, I guess, most grown as a, as a football and or basketball um, broadcaster? And um, maybe what do you think has, has helped in those areas or, or led to those areas? You know, I just think in football, uh, just in a lot of different areas. You know, I go back and listen to some early broadcasts, and yeah, I was it was fine. Um, but I just think I've gotten a lot better, and our broadcast has gotten a lot better. But yeah, my play-by-play specifically, um, just in kind of filling in a lot of little details. Um, I was and I was very concerned early, and still concerned now about being right. I think that's the number one thing is be, be correct. Um, but I was so worried about being correct that that's all I was focused on. Um, and so now I think I've been able to, as time has gone on, 
been able to fill in some of the little gaps and whether I mean I'm talking little things here, Joel. Whether just you know which hash mark I listened to a game we did early on, and I didn't say which hash mark the football was on the entire game, um, and so that's important. But it's also yeah, it's something that um, you got to be able to slide in there. It's not the number one thing that you're concerned with, but it's an important note. And so just being able to fill in some little holes like that um, as time has gone along, I think has been really important. Um, I think I've gotten a lot better in that area. And something I said a moment ago, the the value of the preparation and kind of my system of preparation, I've really the last two, three years feel good about what I do as far as getting ready for a game. I have a very regimented system throughout the week to get prepared to kind of focus on I want to be at this point uh, by the end of this day and you know still be able to get all the other stuff that you got to get done throughout the week but also get your preparation done. Yeah, I feel like that has really settled in um, to a place that I feel good. Um, basketball-wise, you know, I'm always, uh, I've always felt pretty good about our basketball broadcast. That's not to say that you're not trying to get better or improve, um, but I've always felt good. We have a terrific analyst in Eric Montross on that side of things who does a really good job. Um, so that helps, of course. Um, and so, I, you know, we cover teams that win a lot. So uh, that, that part's been good, Fair. too. So I've always felt pretty good about, about what we do on that side of things. In basketball in particular, and this is just something that, you know, we're, we're driving back from Kent State last night, and I'm listening back to the game on the bus, and something that stuck out to me, because uh, I had thought that, like, the last four-minute war of regulation um, I thought was pretty good, and I, I went and listened back to it, and there was a play in my head um, that I thought I called well, and then it was a, a rebound to our point guard who threw it up ahead, ball got deflected, and wound up with another guy on our team down court a little bit. And it all happened so quickly that kind of the deflection isn't in there um, in the in the play because of the fact that I mean he, I mean it was it was kind of it was tapped I mean it was it happened to it was like a straight line and the guy that tapped it was in the middle of it um, mm-hmm. so I think it probably still would have gotten to where it was going in some respects um, so in the actual play by play call you just kind of hear El Amin you know throws it up ahead loose ball gets to Sellers um, and I listened back to it and my analyst caps it with. You know, what a great play by Taylor Persons, able to, you know, dives on, you know, dives after that and gets the deflection up ahead. And I was like, ah, but it happened so quickly that there was so much going on and there's only so many words that fit in a small uh, (laughs) space of time. How do you best handle uh, sometimes the speed at which a basketball game in particular happens? um, Not necessarily to get every touch in all the time, but to get every touch in when they matter most. Sure. It's a great question, and I do think that's the biggest challenge in basketball. And Carolina, it, using just uh, my example, I mean, Carolina likes to play very quickly. And so, you know, the Tar Heels try to push the ball up and down the floor. Um, and so that you can get in those moments where there's just too much stuff to get in there. Um, and I think a couple things become important. I think the role of the analyst there becomes important. You said in the example that you just gave that, that your analyst helped kind of I'll use the term cleaning up, not to say that it was messy, but just kind of finishes up the call for you. And I think that's a sign of a really good analyst who realized, hey, you know, that happened. Let's We need to make sure that we get that piece of information in there too. Um, so I think that was really good on his part to kind of help finish up the play call. Um, but I also think that, that sometimes you, you got to get in what's most important first 
And so it sounds like in this specific example of what you're talking about, what was most important is that it was pushed ahead, it was loose, somebody else got it, and they laid it in. And you got that part in. And so you, you have to – sometimes you just have to be uh, – you have to worry about what matters most. Um, and you also have to remember that you don't, you don't have to be word for word what is exactly happening at every second. You, you, you can, you have a little bit of time to fill in the holes in radio. You, you have that ability. And so I think it's better to get the most important information in first and then fill in the holes than over talk, get behind, get a little lost in what you're trying to say because you're trying to get everything in so quickly. Um, and it sounds like on this particular play that you're talking about that that's what happened. And so to me, um, that I wouldn't blink twice on that. That that sounds like a terrific uh, execution of what you guys were trying to do. Um, and I think that again, I think you got to get in what is most important in the play needs to happen first. Then if you miss a detail that you feel is important, you got to fill it in on the backside. Beyond um, you know time and score and, and getting it right and all those kinds of things as well, when you flip on a game, be it whatever sport, um, what separates uh, not just good play-by-play from average, but like great play-by-play from good play-by-play to your ear? Knowledge of the sport, knowledge of the teams, knowledge of the players, that's number one. Um, you can tell if somebody was in Wichita calling a game last night and now they're in Lubbock, Texas calling a game the next night and they've looked at the roster and they've, you know, they know the stats and that's about all they know. And you can tell, I think. So knowledge of the game, the teams, uh, the individual players, I think that always sets things apart. Um, Now, I also think there's a big difference between television and, and radio. I think in television, um, not over speaking, I think is really important. I'll use Joe Buck, who I know for some reason takes a lot of heat. I don't know I why. His, <laughs> yeah, I thought his call on the Vikings play was awesome because he gave it enough and there was the emotion there, but he didn't say too much. And so I do think on television that becomes a lot more important. It's different on radio because you are – um, you're you're filling a little bit of a different role. People relying on you more heavily for what's going on. Um, but I think that being uh, judicious with your words on the television side of things, I think, is very important. Um, I think relationship with analysts goes a long way, um, and that's you know where you're lucky in radio because most times you're working with the same person throughout the year, and so you build that repertoire with people. Um, where they kind of know when to fill in the holes like we were talking about. They know kind of when you're done talking and when they have a window to to get in the information that they want to get in. Um, So I think that's a big difference in the quality of a broadcast is when you do have that good relationship um, with your analyst as well. Um, And... I'm just trying to think. I mean, there's just so many things. Um, um, but to me, I guess those would be the main things for me. And, and, and again, I think there's a big difference between radio and television. Um, because in radio, the play-by-play guy, in my opinion, is the most important guy. Because he's telling you everything. He's got to tell you where the ball is, what the score is, what the time is, who has it, what's happening. Describe what's happening. Whereas in football, I think, the anal- or in television, the analyst is the most important guy. And so your role changes. You need to still 
kind of manage the broadcast much more than hardcore play-by-play. You need to manage what is happening. You need to set your partner up um, and kind of all those, uh, a little bit of a different role than what you're doing on the radio side. Uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I want to, I, I, if I can cover uh, two more very quick things with you. Um, well, maybe the first one's not all that quick. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how in-depth you go. Um, but you've mentioned several times preparation. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily, I mean, everybody's got their own boards and their own kind of unique ways of going about it. Um, but I, I'm more curious for you, what is, what's most important? If you had to do a game and had limited time to prepare, where do your eyes go first and what do you absolutely need? Um, or what do you think, if you want to go in a, a different direction, what do you think is is important and unique to the way that you prepare and broadcast um, and, and gives you a different perspective that you like to bring to the table? I think, and especially when you're, when you're calling one team, there's two things that I think are important. One is I think you need to find something that is more interesting than just he is averaging this amount of points and this amount of rebounds when you're talking about your own guys, your own team. And so I do then that's one of the things I enjoy about covering one team is that you can kind of go on that journey with them. And like, for example, right now, Kenny Williams, who's had a terrific year for Carolina um, shooting the basketball, but the last four or five games, he's four of 24 from three point range. Mm. And that's a big deal. And so I think kind of not only talking about that, but figuring out why, you know, why is that happening? Is that just a, is that just a, this is a long season and you're going to go through a little dip? Has he lost some confidence? Is there something going on with the form? Um, so I think that becomes important of, you know, there are these kind of little mini stories, mini trends that go on during a long season um, that I think are worth discovering and talking about when they're relevant to what's happening at that point in time. Um, and then we take a lot of pride in knowing the other team. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's just as important to know the relevant storylines, the relevant stats, the relevant um, stories of the other team as it is of your team. Um, and, you know, you know Carolina, in my, in my instance, and you know Ball State because you're, you see them every game. You know that journey because you're there with them. And your listeners know that journey. But, you know, what's, what's been going on with your opponent? You know, why have they won five in a row? Or why are they scuffling right now? Or why is this player averaging 25 points in the last three games? Or whatever it is. Um, and so I think that's really important. And, you know, in football, for example, I take a whole day on Wednesday where all I do is read stories from throughout the year that I've been printing out on the opposition and get to know kind of their journey of their – season like you know by heart the journey of the team that you're covering and so we try to make sure that we bring that aspect to to what we're talking about as well as why is the other team where they are because we know why the Tar Heels are there but we and and we're still going to talk about that but why is the other team kind of at this point of their journey as well uh last question I have for you is uh something you mentioned at the very beginning um and I want to possibly go more in-depth with it. We'll see. Uh, you, you've got a little bit of a background when you were in high school in, in some musical theater. Um, and I read an article where you said that it, it has helped you in a little bit of ways just being able to perform and speak uh, in, in public. Um, but, you know, Kevin Brown, we had on this podcast from ESPN a few few weeks ago, and he had mentioned 
that he took improv classes because he thought it made mm. him better as a broadcaster and able to respond mm. uh, more quickly in, in different sure. situations. Uh, do you think in some regards that, I don't know, having a, a theater background has helped you, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we it is a performance in some regard, but um, has helped you be able to handle a, that kind of a situation and be able to kind of roll with different punches and, uh, and I mean, on the musical side of it too, just kind of develop a voice um, maybe differently than someone who would just be getting into this as a, as a speaker, for lack of a better way of putting it. Absolutely, I do, um, because I do think that in that particular genre, I mean, if something you're you're out there, and if something goes wrong, you can't just run off stage, right? I mean, <laughs> you got to figure it out, and and every broadcast, there's going to be a challenging moment. You're going to get something wrong. There's going to, you know, it, it's just nobody's ever done a perfect broadcast, and so I think it does help being able to kind of, as I think you said, kind of roll with the punches, be a little bit flexible, keep your level of where you're trying to perform. I'll use that word um, with the understanding that you may have to, uh, you may have to adjust a little bit. And so I do think that it helped tremendously in that regard. Um, But the biggest advantage for me is what you kind of said in that intro, and that's being comfortable speaking in front of a crowd. I think the, the, thing I've gotten improved the most on since I started the very first thing was going up and talking in front of big groups. Um, I remember because that's part of your role in doing this. Um, you know, I mean, for example, yeah, I'm hosting our baseball's first pitch dinner on Saturday and there's going to be 700 people there. Um, and that's just part of being the play by play boys at North Carolina is you end up doing all these different events. And I would get a thousand times more nervous doing that than I would being on the air for the broadcast. And so kind of that background I was able to fall back on after a little bit of time and say, hey, you know what, this is, this is not that big a deal, and kind of fall back a little bit on some of that experience that I had. And now I feel like I'm 10 million times more comfortable uh, doing those kind of events. And so I, I think that experience in my background, without a doubt, uh, help me in that regard. That's one of those things I always wish if I could go back to college and like take some sort of acting class. I feel I like think it, the improv yeah. class is a great idea. I'd never really thought of that before, but that that's a great idea because you know, you're kind of out there, you're you're you know, kind of naked for everybody to see, and you got to figure it out. And I think that's a that's a great idea. Yeah, I mean that's what we go through every 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 time we go on the air. I feel like sometimes too. Um, Jones, uh, how do people uh, get in touch with you if they wanted to find you on social media or just find you on the dial and uh, and hear some Carolina basketball or football? Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, you know we're pretty active on Twitter. I think you need to be in sports media, and um, we run all of our uh, Toriel Sports Network stuff through mine. It's at Jones Angel. Um, Angel does have two L's at the end. It's a little bit funky. Um, so that's my Twitter address. Um, you know, we finally, after – a long, after a long time, we've been able to get our streaming rights uh, kind of freed up this year, which has been a big boost for us. So, you know, Tariel, we're now on TuneIn uh, for every broadcast, which I think you have to be almost now. Yep. Um, we've gotten our, uh, we have a official athletic, uh, both the website, GoHeels.com, and the GoHeels app. You can hear the broadcast for free streaming on both of those. We've allowed our affiliates now, um, and we've got, you know, over 40 of them uh, to stream our broadcast now. Um, through their individual websites, and so that's been a big plus. Um, and I know that's this isn't why you asked that question, Joel, but you know you have to do that. Yeah, no, that's now. important. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you know, we I th- it took a really long time, and there's reasons you don't care about about why it took a really long time, but it, you can't just rely on radio anymore. And while that's still the found, I mean, that's not going away. But we needed on our broadcast, we needed to make it easier for people to access what we were doing. And it took a long time for me to convince people and for us to get out of different contracts. But um, that the key is the the ease of access now. Um, And so it's been a huge plus for us this year as far as our listenership and uh, just people being able to uh, to be involved with our broadcast and getting all these different ways that they can hear it. Um, We've also gosh, we're in the second year now. We used to do uh, a daily uh, well, we called it the, the, the Daily Show. It was a little just two, <laughs> three-minute show where we would send it out to our affiliates every day, and it was just kind of a little daily update. Um, but at some point, we realized this was not the most effective way to do this anymore, and so we started our own podcast. And um, you know, we've had a ton of success with it. We've had a lot of fun with it. We just actually did our 100th episode uh, earlier this week, um, and it's called the Carolina Insider, and uh, people love for people to listen to that. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on all the different ways uh, that you can get your podcasts. Um, the and the Twitter address for that is at Carolina underscore Pod, and we have uh, we have a ton of fun with that. In fact, we have Justin Jackson, uh, former Tar Heel, who's of course with the Sacramento Kings now. He's our guest on the show coming up later this week. So nice. um, that's a fun way to, that we're able to get to our fans as well. Jones Angel joining us here on Play by Playcast. You know, I liked his uh, his honesty and his candor when it came to specific calls, which is something we've done a little bit on this podcast with various guests in the past, but not a ton, like breaking down specific calls. So that was kind of cool to, to, to dive into the Giovanni Bernard touchdown, um, to dive into the national championship calls, wins and losses, and uh, kind of dissect that a little bit. And then uh, I, I liked his candor as well in terms of wh- when I said, where have you improved most and grown most over the last uh, you know, seven years as the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels? Um, he was upfront and honest about that. Um, and it's, it's good to hear, and it's one of those good reminders that, hey, we're all human. Um, you know, we all have our own ways of, of, as Jones mentioned, getting to where we are in this business, but also, uh, I mean, physically, like which job you have, but also in terms of, you know, the product we produce on the air. Uh, so it was kind of cool to hear uh, his perspective on, on how he's grown, you know, in, in uh, his product and in himself over the last couple of years uh, since he has become the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, many thanks, though, to Jones Angel for joining us this week on the pod. Uh, really random aside, by the way, like, this is coming out, if you're listening to this podcast on time, on Friday, January 26th. On Thursday, January 25th, uh, the XFL was relaunched by Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Uh, went away after its one-year run in 2001, and uh, it's back. It'll it'll debut in 2020, and like raise your hand really high if you're one of those people that said, oh my god, the XFL is back, I need to figure out how to broadcast this. Uh, because because I was one of them. Uh, I'm just curious. I'm intrigued by it. I was intrigued by it then. Uh, I played Fantasy XFL, like Jeff Brom and, and Tim Lester were my fantasy quarterbacks, which was an awesome conversation to have with Tim Lester uh, at Mac Media Day because he's now the Western Michigan head coach this past year. But, uh, you know, I was thinking when I saw the this was the XFL 30 for 30 on ESPN, 
uh, I really wanted to kind of have Matt Vaskirgin on at some point on this podcast to talk about what broadcasting the XFL was like. Uh, it might be tougher now because he just uh, picked up the Sunday night baseball duties. So congratulations to Matt Vaskirgin. Uh, credit where it's due there. But I still, with the XFL coming out, would love to talk about what broadcasting the original XFL was like with Matt Vaskirgin. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's up the sleeve uh, coming up at some point here on an upcoming episode of Play by Playcast. It is interesting too, by the way. Vince McMahon is a, I mean, super, like, cutting edge guy in a lot of ways. And and outside of the wrestling business, I don't know if he necessarily gets the credit. Uh, the XFL like invented the sky cam. That was talked about at great length in the Thirty for Thirty documentary. And when you watch Vince McMahon's press conference today, he was talking about how the new XFL in 2020 would be broadcast. And, you know, he talked about multiple platforms and you'd be able to watch on your television on a big screen or a, or a small screen and everything in between. So I'm actually kind of curious. Don't put it past Vince McMahon to in some way, and it might not seem like it initially, but it, it'll probably make some sort of lasting impact revolutionize if nothing else is successful about the xfl i would not put it past him uh to to revolutionize or add uh, or change in a noticeable way eventually if not immediately how we consume sports on television and uh, that is something that i think as as media types uh, can certainly uh, be something to get excited about with the return of the XFL. Some really good guests coming up uh, on some podcasts uh, over the next several weeks. I mentioned wanting to get Joe Tate on the podcast, the legendary voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He will not be on next week. He will be on soon after, though. So uh, if you've been an admirer of Joe Tate, as many guests on this podcast have been over the time, uh, that we've had these conversations, and you know, before that, um, Joe Tate will be a, an upcoming guest here on Play by Playcast, and uh, a couple other cool names uh, up our sleeve as well. So stay locked in every Friday morning. Find us on Twitter at pxpcast. I'm at Joel Godet. The music playing is Marshmallow, and that means we are out of time. Many thanks to Jones Angel for joining us. We'll see you back here in seven days. Play by Playcast. We're out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.